1: Hey everybody! Welcome to another episode of After Impact. I am your host Tom Billu, and I am here with none other than Agent Smith, Mister Billu. What's up, my man? How's it going? Going very well. Thank you very much. I'm over very here good. generating energy, generating. as our boy Brendan Bouchard taught us to do.
0: Yes, he did. So generate, generate. I'm a power plant. It's that's right. I'm watching it happen in real time. In real five time. Ago. <laughs> looking a little low on energy. I'm not gonna lie. I was
1: not ready. I was not ready uh and then i said you know what brendan's right let's yeah. let's create that energy and you called me Coming out through. it was beautiful Coming you said through. hey you got to be a power plant so That's here we right. are we're power planning away and we're going to be talking about lila jana why don't you tell T- us about top, her?
0: Fi- top five episode for me nice yeah i love nice. this one i really Gosh. did loved how you know how gritty she is how she's gone out of her way to um achieve her her dream she sets big goals and how um, she keeps everything in perspective and stays grounded. Mm. And, and just what she's trying to do with her business is, is very impressive. Very impressive,
1: so. no question.
0: All right, so given that, let's dive into our first question. So she talks about how in this episode that um, she, you know, she, her upbringing is what created a lot of grit in her, mm. in her life and, and what she's maintained as an entrepreneur. So I wonder, um, if you don't have an upbringing like hers, How would you go about creating an environment in which grit can flourish?
1: This question is like starting to get asked more and more. And it's one of those that I... I find hard when I put it in the context of being a parent, Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot easier when it's just you, but in the context of a parent, it's very, very difficult because it's, you don't want to see your kids suffer. You want to get them out of any situation that might be difficult, uh, certainly for me. And that was one of the things that actually made me not want to have children was I honestly just don't know about myself if I could let them suffer. And. I think at the end of the day, and you talk about the upbringing that she had and watch the episode, she talks about it, but um, there was some abuse in her family growing up and she uh, moved around a lot and had just some really, really hard times and ultimately became very depressed, suicidal, um, had two people that she loved in the same year commit suicide, I mean, just like crazy, crazy stuff. And so you need the hardships. Now, the thing about the hardships is, if I'm honest... Hardships break most people. And so it becomes a bit of the survivorship bias where it's like, hey, on the other side of that, the people that survive that, like, they're amazing. And so, hey, like, put everybody through the meat grinder. The reality is the meat grinder is a filter and most people don't make it to the other side. Now, as an individual, you need to do the hard things. You need to put yourself in some sort of position that's gonna develop that grit, tenacity, discipline, whatever it is, um... I ran cross-country for four years. I hated it, but it really did force me to develop grit and discipline. Uh, I work out five days a week. I hate it, but it really does reinforce over and over every day grit and discipline. Being an entrepreneur is hard as hell, but it reinforces grit and discipline. It puts you in these difficult situations where you have to learn, adapt, grow. You have to be really results-oriented. You've gotta like filter out the bullshit of your ego and find out like from a results standpoint what's really working. Mm -hmm. So as an adult, putting yourself in situations where something you care about is only obtained when you go through something difficult. And the easiest one is diet and exercise. Every single one of us every day is eating something. And that eating is a choice. And the better you're eating, the more disciplined you have to be. So that's like an easy way to get, to put yourself through something hard. It's hard oddly enough, not to eat things that you really want to eat. And then if you're really prepared to go the extra mile to work out, like those two things are the easy way to put yourself into a situation where you have to do the hard things to get grittier. There's a thousand other things beyond that. Taking mixed martial arts class, learning a skill that you don't know how to do, take a tango class. I mean, many, many things.
0: So in other words, get outside your comfort zone.
1: Yeah, I mean, get way outside your comfort zone, but don't do it just by happenstance and accident. It's yeah. like, have a goal, something that you're trying to accomplish. And I think that's really where hardship becomes something that is not only more survivable, but that as you go through the process of getting through it, like you're actually improving in a way that's very beneficial to the rest of your life.
0: Yeah. Um, so do you, I wanna go back to this meat grinder concept let's just, do it just kind of, so what if they're like do you think it's possible that the meat grinder it, it's no longer a filter like there's a way to get people through that um, traumatic difficult experience and come out um, better for it on the other side
1: you're saying on mass yes so my whole life is predicated around the fact that this is something that you can train people because it all comes down to belief system so whatever that core operating system is that you have if it's really internal to you then for sure and the problem what happens is the reason the meat grinder acts as a filter is you come you're you know you think you're great you think you're capable of all this stuff and then you hit the meat grinder and what what's happening <laughs> just to beat this analogy to death like as you're getting either mauled into sausage or you come out the other side better than ever has everything to do with what you do to adapt your mindset to deal with the pain. Most people they realize whoa I just want out of the meat grinder so they move themselves into smaller and smaller circles. They put themselves around um, only situations that make them feel better about themselves versus the people that really get through the other side and they're stronger and better as they realize I have to go through this. And part of the going through to actually getting out the other side is to think in a different way, to change what I build my self-esteem around, to acquire new skills, to be willing to stare at my inadequacies, like all of the things that are ultimately going to allow them to improve enough to get to the other side. So it, it boils down to, can you teach people to not want out? Can you teach people to reframe the pain that they're going through as something really empowering, something that's gonna serve them, something that's going to allow them to trigger the adaptive mechanisms that we all have as a human being? And literally that's what impact theory is designed to do is to sneak that message into mainstream media so that people can't help but assimilate that belief system. It just becomes so ever-present. In your upbringing in the content that you watch as you 're an adult and you 're binging Netflix that you 're getting this empowering mindset
0: yeah that 's awesome, and as you're saying that, I was reminded of the David Goggins episode in which he said, Goggins. exactly yeah. and he said um, i don 't like i don 't like running. People ask me why do you run so much if you don't like it and he said that 's exactly the point. The point is I'm preparing my mind for that day when I get a call that my mother has passed away and how am I going to react to that? And it was so interesting to, for me to hear him take that, you know, those ex- he's creating an environment of um, difficulty, physical difficulty in his life so that he can develop his mental stamina to deal with the, the hardships that come through. It's that meat grinder coming at you. Dude.
1: Yeah. I mean, you you literally, in fact, like six minutes ago or whatever, when we started talking about that, he was the first person that sprang to mind. It's like, that's what he represents to me. Like he gets that and he's not afraid to put himself in that position. And he took himself from being, in his estimation, the weakest man God ever created and then tried to become the toughest man alive. And, you know, I think that's why he's done so well as an episode is That resonates with people. Like, that's what we all want to do. We, because the, the, it is inevitable that you're going to run into these hard times. Like, that's a guarantee. Like, the one promise I can make people is life will get hard at some point. I cannot promise that life will get easy at some point. I really can't. Like, you may live your entire life may suck in terms of hardship from start to finish. But whether that's, unenjoyable whether you find beauty in your life or not has nothing to do with the hardships that you face it has everything to do with how you perceive those hardships if you see them as the thing that's going to turn you into the version of yourself that you want to become then suddenly it's like it's not something to run away from it's not something to be embarrassed about um, it's not something to you know um be angry or bitter about it's like whoa
0: thankfully I went through that yeah, that's amazing. And something that Lila talks about a lot in this episode is, you know, I think you asked her, how does one go about um, dealing with this trauma and, and coming out better for it? And she said that the only power we have is the power to decide how we respond to what happens to us. Mm. And, you know, it sounds like something simple, but I think it's, it's much harder to do in practice. in practice. So what are some, like, what are some small techniques for reframing experiences um, to change how you respond to them? So
1: one, honestly, the most important thing you have to do is you have to believe that that's a true statement. Meaning you have to believe that simply reframing it will change your neurochemistry and that there is always another way to look at something. And once you're able to find that other way to look at it, then it's like, okay, I can choose now What lesson I'm gonna take away from the experience? So maybe you can't choose the experience, but you can always choose the lesson. And for me, reading the book "Man's Search for Meaning" by Viktor Frankl, who was a concentration camp survivor—if I remember right—he was in five different concentration camps, uh, ends up in Auschwitz, and he just—he was a um, neuro uh, neurologist, I think. He I can never remember if he was a, a neurosurgeon or a neurologist, but he was definitely a psychiatrist, um that that for sure. And he comes out the or he's going through um the concentration camps and he's looking around him and and people that didn't die of a traumatic death. He said, you could tell that when they were going to die based on when they gave up. And he said, if they, and by give up, he meant that they no longer knew why they were going through the suffering, meaning they had lost a frame of reference. Mm. So they could, they no longer were choosing to see it in like a certain way. So for him, the thing that allowed him to get through it was he was like, I'm going to get through this so that I can save my family so I can protect them. And so it just all became about like he had kids, he had a wife and he was going to make it through everything he was going for, for them to get to the other side. And so like that just gave him what he needed to keep going. And he said, once people no longer had that, he was like 72 hours later, they would be dead, not from anything other than just like they succumb to the malnutrition and all of that. But the people eating the exact same calories and all that have a reason to live. They keep going. And I just thought, whoa, like that guy's beyond reproach. Like you could say, oh, you know, Lila had it too easy. I think that's BS. But like, no one's going to argue that a dude that's been in five concentration camps, like, like whatever he tells me, I'm just like, yep. Okay, great. Got it. And if he's like, all that matters is your mindset then i'm just going to believe that that's true so once you believe that you can choose like to look at it from a different way that is tactic number fucking 1 2 beyond that now you need a catalog of different ways to see it like how do you find the empowerment in any given situation 3 you need to believe and understand that the the where you are now and where you want to go, the thing that keeps those two apart is a set of skills. So those three things are really like the core things that I do. I believe that it's possible to rethink it. And then ultimately I've got like a catalog of empowering things. And then I know that in, in here, the lesson that I need to learn needs to be an actual skill that I can go and apply. So that's sort of how I triangulate anytime that I'm dealing with something like that.
0: And do you find yourself relying on that on a day-to-day basis in like really, you know, in the minutia of the day when something frustrates you and you can just qu- quickly reframe or definitively
1: are you even that? It, it, it is second nature. So yeah. I don't really have to think about it anymore. Yeah. It happens automatically, but this is dude mindset mindset is it is the matrix. It is everywhere. And that's why the movie is the perfect metaphor for me is that, Your mindset makes up the the fabric of everything. So I'll give you an example. I'm hungry pretty much all the time. And part of the reason that um, as I was thinking through like why when we shot yesterday did I have high energy whereas today when we're shooting my energy is lower. And the reason is it's, it's different as far as it's time from my last meal. And so, um, yesterday when the machinations of the shoot kicked in, I had eaten like really recently. And so like, man, I was just good to go. I wasn't like super hungry. Whereas this time it was like, we're now edging up by about the time that we wrap this episode, I'll be do a meal, which means I'm going to be really fucking hungry. And if I frame it as in, Oh man, Hello, hunger. Welcome back, old friend. Which I do, by the way, when I'm really trying to get lean, I become obsessed with loving hunger. And I'm so excited because the hunger means I'm metabolizing fat. This is so cool. Mm -hmm. But now, so first of all, we're in November. So from November to, say, February, I don't hold myself to the same standard of leanness. I don't let myself go by any means, but like I'm not actively trying to get lean, which is a wonderful time of year for me. I actually really enjoy not having to be like super hungry, um, but I, I've i actually been slow to transition into a mass gain cycle this time. So I'm in November where I feel like, ah, oh, I shouldn't like always be this hungry, but I haven't like actually transitioned into mass gain. So there's like, I'm no longer welcoming the hunger as my old friend. That is but one of a thousand examples of that hits me four or five times a day and my mindset has to be knowing how to deal with the hunger. So how to flip it, how to do the mental jujitsu, to not feel the pain, to be able to generate the energy. Also. When you said to me, like, oh, you need to be an energy generator. Like, there was that sting of, that motherfucker's right. Like, (laughs) how did I not, like, lead with that? I can't believe I actually said out loud that I'm low energy. This is crazy. I never should have done that. And then the other part was just, like, to be surrounded by people who think, like, I think. I was also, like, oh, man, it's so cool that, like, you're over there and, like, reminding me of something that, like, I really believe. And so then there was, like, that, like, smile. (laughs) So it's, like, yeah. If you, like, have all these things, like, they're, they're, they're. All the time. There are causes to use them all the time, which is why it's so important to develop a toolbox of skills, mindset, belief skills to use.
0: And do you think you, it's more effective to attach the challenge to some supplemental benefit um, outside of just um, gaining discipline and um, improving your mindset? Like you just mentioned, um, you know, not eating at a certain time or reducing your calories you can say, you know that you're, you're improving your mindset and your discipline, but you're also getting lean. So is it helpful to have both of those? Or can you just say, would you be able to sustain yourself by just going, I know that by pushing through this, I'm building self-discipline?
1: Um, no, I. You have to have something, but the something I think may surprise you. So for me, the only something that's really enduring is to become more powerful. Okay, and and I'll define power as the ability to close your eyes, envision a world that you want to come true, open your eyes, and be able to manifest that. So whether that's just for yourself, whether that's you trying to create something, trying to be a better parent, trying to be the greatest um, violinist ever, like whatever it is that you're trying to do, power is the, the ability to imagine that and then actually make it come to fruition. So everything that, I, everything that I do feeds into becoming a more powerful version of myself for sure. So it may not be specific like get lean, build a business, but it's become more powerful for sure. Like, what's the point of suffering for discipline if the discipline doesn't lead to something, right? Right. So discipline becomes an empty what, like chasing money is an empty what, unless you know your why. So if I know I want to leverage discipline to... X, Y, Z, um, then it's like, okay, suddenly the discipline makes a lot of sense. So like for me, discipline to be able to build the life that I want, have the impact on society that I want, um, live longer the way that I want, like discipline works for me in all of those ways. Um, but I'm not, discipline is a tool ultimately in service of a higher goal. If you want a fighting chance against the competition, you need to be using the best technology and platforms in the world like Shopify. For whatever and wherever you want to sell, from launching to going international, Shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business. Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. Now, I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy for you to start run, and grow your business. It didn't used to be this easy. I'm telling you back in the day, it was a lot harder. I'm so jealous. Shopify powers more than 10% of all US e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly and efficiently choose Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash impact now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash impact. Has it and with eBay guaranteed fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply.
0: Got it, that's really interesting. That actually makes me think of something in the episode where Lila is talking about. Um, you know she went through a lot of tough times when she was trying to build her company, you know her her social entrepreneurship venture and she says that um, when your core values are aligned with what you're spending your time doing, um, it creates unity in your soul, which I thought was a really nice way of saying like that's kind of the, the sweet spot that you're you're trying to get to right mm-hmm. in your life how do you How do you take steps toward finding that alignment?
1: A lot of this really comes back to emotion uh, a visceral feeling and i say that because i for a long time i really like you have to understand i really believed it when i said i want to get rich like i really believed when i said it i didn't feel any sense of incongruity it was
0: a core value it was a core
1: value a hundred percent like and that didn't feel bad or icky like just like, I want to get rich. And I suppose if you'd pushed and probed, I would have said, you know, I want to do cool stuff for myself. I want to do cool things for my family. But it was like, I was really focused on the money. Yeah. And it it was only once I realized I'm really unhappy, like from a neurochemical standpoint, like the experience of my days is not pleasurable. And so it was in that process that I began to realize like, whoa, like, I don't think there's anything intrinsically valuable about success. And that was like a real like awakening. Cause you hear like everybody just talks like success in school, um, success in your job, success as a parent, like success. Right. And then I thought like the, the poem that haunted me, I heard it when I was like eight years old. It's called, I think it's called Richard Corey. Certainly that's the character's name in the poem. And it's about this guy's the uh, most handsome guy in town, richest guy in town, nicest guy in town. All the women want to be with him. All the guys want to be like him. And then he goes home one night and puts a bullet in his head. And I thought, whoa, like what the fuck? Like, And that just, as I was going through this period where I was not enjoying my days, even though I was successful by like every measure, I think it was the period of my life where my mom worried about me the least was the period because like everything was just going according to plan. I had a stable job. It was in technology. I was making good money. I had ownership in the company. You know, I had started as an employee and worked my way up. It was just like for her, it was like, yeah, like that's what you should be doing. Yeah. And I was just like, I'm so unhappy. Like, what is happening? And I didn't know, like, because I felt like I was in alignment with my core values. So finally, I realized none of this is true. Like, listen to your feelings, right? Feelings. Let's talk mm-hmm. about feelings, Jared. So my feelings were telling me that what you really get off on is like spending time with your wife. You love that. Mm -hmm. What you really get off on is thinking of your business partners as your brothers. Like you really get off on that. What you really enjoy is like, those moments where like you're kind of forgetting about the business for a second and you're three grown men and you're giggling because something's just funny Mm -hmm. and like you really love that and so those are all the times where you feel awesome and you feel great when you learn a new skill like those are the things that like you really are jazzed up on um so what are you doing like those are actually the fun moments and if you could string your life together where you're getting better that was always something that i found really intoxicating so you're getting better every day but you're doing it around people you really love and care about you can it's people that you feel unguarded enough with that you can just giggle and be yourself um hanging out with my wife is just like neurochemical like the the greatest reward ever for me and so like and when I create, ah, oh, I love that, right? So I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about all these things that make me feel alive. And then I started thinking, feeling alive is actually the end result. Like that's, everything is building towards that. Mm-hmm. Money should facilitate that. Your relationships should facilitate that. The business should facilitate that. And so it just got to the point where I was so, such a drug addict that was so hungry to feel that drug of just like deep fulfillment that I was like, yeah, fuck everything that isn't deeply fulfilling. And so learning to listen to my gut became really important. Because I realized, oh, I've been ignoring this forever. And because I just kept putting it off, ignoring, ignoring, ignoring. And I didn't stop to take the time to codify it and say, why do I feel this way? Why is it good to do things that make me feel this way? Could my life be a string of those moments? Like when you, when you just put it off and, oh, will you let me go a little deeper on this? Can you Please. bring us back? yes. Okay. So here's like this, this scares me because I don't, I don't know how to, to really get this concept across. So, but everybody lean in, like if you're driving pull over this, if, if I can get it out and and people can understand what I mean, this will change your life. So every day, no one day feels really important. And because tomorrow is going to feel a lot like today, and because you, every day you feel like you get at least a tomorrow, right? Like you get it, you're going to die at some point, but like you kind of feel like I'm at least going to have tomorrow and none of it's really known. That lulls you into this like sense of cycle and Mm -hmm. you, and the sun fucks you up, nighttime fucks you up, Um, like the cycle of eating, of sleeping, like everything is, it's so repetitive that it lulls you into this sense that it's just, there's always more time to do it. Like, it's not like, look, I wanna do it today, but it's not the end of the world. And when people get into a gnarly place in their life, and it's dark, they always think like, okay, I didn't quite get out of this place today, but I'm gonna get out of it tomorrow, right? Like I can do it tomorrow. And maybe they like move the ball a little bit tomorrow and that really pacifies them. And so they're like, okay, I didn't quite get out of it today, but like, you know, tomorrow. And that sense of like, when you're watching it, let me see if I can capture it with this analogy. When you're watching a river go by you, you, you feel like, it's it's all the same and you don't realize that like everything is actually rushing by. and that if you were to put, instead of seeing yourself as standing on the riverbank, if you could see you're actually in the fucking river and you're not that static part of the river, you're fucking rushing to the end, like rushing, rushing, rushing. And so every day, like you've got to do it right now. You've got to figure this out right now. If you're miserable, you got to change right now. If you want to become a better version of yourself, it has to happen today. Once you have that, then it's like, by the time you hit the end of that river and you spring out into the ocean that is almost certainly death, like then you'll have done something fucking incredible because you knew you had to act right now. And maybe that really is the analogy because I had the chills when I was saying it. Everyone thinks of themselves as standing on the bank of the river of time, and they don't recognize you're rushing by.
0: I think that's a clip. There it is. (laughs) I'm going to call that a clip. Nice. That was great. Um, I want to totally switch gears. Well, we are talking about the uh, river, so uh, I want to talk about forest bathing.
1: Forest bathing?
0: Forest bathing. Nice. Let's do it. Um, this was when you asked, uh, Lila about, I think it's her brother who is a, yeah,
1: he's um, an astrophysicist.
0: Yep. Okay. And you were asking her, you know, how does she, uh, she uses a technique to kind of stay grounded. And, um, she was talking about being out in nature essentially is, is really important to her. And she recommends that. And I know that you aren't one to go out in nature. It's not really something that you do. Um, to get perspective. But now that she says, and she mentioned this, and I haven't done any of the research, but that there's documented neuroscience of the benefits of going out and interacting, and, and the Japanese have a term, and it's forest bathing. Um, would you be open to, to doing more of that?
1: Um, no, <laughs> and, and I'll tell you why. So it, that, I say that to get people's attention. Here's the thing, the reason that Lisa and I prioritized the view when we bought our house was for that exact neurological effect. And we have a house that you kind of don't feel like you're in LA. At least I don't. Um, and so I really do try to take the time to sit out there in the quiet, especially early mornings and really just sort of drink in that vibe. Also when I meditate, I put on nature sounds. So I, I, fully understand and am susceptible to forest bathing. And there is something about hearing the sounds of nature, like, a you know, crickets, a Creek meadow, like a waves crashing, whatever it is that really, really puts me in a deep state of, um, peace and calm. And if I had a reason to like be in a situation like that, I would, I would enjoy it immeasurably the problem that I have is the time that it takes to go and do that. It's just too long. Yeah. Especially in LA. It's just too long. And, um, and I don't get off on like hiking and stuff like that because it, it isn't, um, it isn't physically pleasurable for me. So like wandering around in the woods has like, if like, for instance, Um, Lisa and I every now and then on a vacation or something like we'll go to like a really secluded part of a beach, just be totally alone and just sit there in like, um, you know, uh, like a hug or something and, and literally just enjoy like the sounds of the waves and stuff, man. So like when the moments present themselves, I take them for sure, but I'm not going to go out of my way. It takes
0: too long. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Um, one of the stories that Lila tells is, is of when she was in uh, Ghana and um, someone from the community came up and gave her a cup full of eggs, which was yeah. the most valuable thing there at the time. And, um, you know, she said that a lot of times in developing countries, um, in these small communities, people may not have access to a lot of resources, but the community is very strong and they come together and help each other out. And I just had a thought as we're kind of building a community around impact theory and i feel like in more developed countries especially western nations you don't get that sense of people Mm -hmm. wanting to help each other out and is there a way to sort of incorporate that maybe on um you know the level of digital and social media content uh incorporate some of those ideas
1: that's really interesting man and and maybe you're the right man to like figure that out that would be really awesome. So you know my fantasy is we need to figure out what our version of the Mickey Mouse Club is. Yeah. And when I think about the regional impact theory groups that are springing up, um, that's really exciting. And if we can find a way to bake that in to really help each other, that would be incredible. I'll be really honest. I don't have a vision for it. Okay. Um, beyond the like proximity is my vision, get them together, yeah. right. In real life, get them together beyond that. Like how we turn that into something where people really feel invested and really want to actually help each other. That would be
0: so cool. So right. well, put your thinking cap on. Planting a seed now and uh, that. we'll keep thinking about it. Um, one other concept that Lila brings up and that she said is she's found very, valuable in her time as an entrepreneur is the concept of inserting a pause Mm. before responding. Um, I love that idea. I wanted to also get your thoughts, you know, since you've had a long entrepreneurial journey as well, have there been times when you've used that when, um, you wish you had used that?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it isn't so much that my I'll I'll say it very simply. My entrepreneurial journey has not taught me that I need to pause more. Interesting. So I will say that my entrepreneurial journey has taught me to be bolder, to act faster, but maybe that's just my natural personality. So I'm not the person that's just gonna blurt shit out. Look, I'm not immune to it by any stretch of the imagination. But um, I think if you played back like all the content that I've created, you get a pretty good sense of, um, I stay out of the things that I don't feel I can contribute to meaningfully. Um, I don't lash out at people. Um, it's you know it's it's really rare that I take a uh, a stance where it's like oh th- this is mean spirited. I do sometimes, but it's really fucking rare. Um, so I'm not the guy that writes the angry email. Like none of that is sort of intrinsic to me. Like I've said, I, it takes me a very very long time to get angry. Um, that. I, I think I'm wired for empathy and then I've fed into that my whole life. So I've had to like go the other way and be able to argue from my position, be able to take a stronger position, to not be afraid to say bold, aggressive things, to not be afraid to create um, friction. My business partners, excuse me, at one point um, back when we were still at the technology company, pulled me aside and said, look, you sweep everything under the rug. And because I always wanted people to get along. And they were just like, you can't fucking do that. Like, people don't know where they stand. So I've had to learn to really, like, not be afraid of confrontation, to not be afraid to, you know, create that friction. So, yeah, it's I I fully... Respect that—that's probably the lesson some people need to learn. Is hey, take a pause, take a deep breath. Like, don't like emotionally react. um Have you seen
0: people just, suffer from not being able to do that? Do you think that's common?
1: Um, I'll tell you the one that I do think is common. Like when she said that, I loved it. I thought it was really powerful, and that's so self-aware of her to realize that's what I really need to do. Um, the the pause that I think people need to take, and the one that I see people get fucked up by all the time is they react emotionally and they don't understand how much credibility they lose with other people by being emotional. Mm -hmm. Like you, you've just got to be able to rise above your emotions. You have to, and you, you've got to do it even before it registers on your face, right? Like those are the people that really go places in life. They might be inside panicking, but that doesn't reassure anybody they might inside be seething but that doesn't reassure anybody like if you're to let that happen right if you're to panic or get angry or like cry or whatever like it it doesn't reassure people and so like eh, i just don't see a time where that's a win so now because of my marriage i even before i got into being an entrepreneur i spent years working on getting control of my emotions to make sure that my wife and I could communicate from a place of sobriety, emotional sobriety, and not like, you know, I, I think that people like the intoxication of their emotions. So I think people throw themselves into it and they ride that roller coaster. And I think that it's just a fool's
0: errand. Oh, like that. Um, Layla talks about not putting our heroes on a pedestal, uh, and, and no one's a saint which yeah. I thought was super, super powerful and something you guys talked about for a bit. Just wanted to get your your response to that and why it's so important, uh, an important concept for people to understand.
1: I think she nailed it. Why, why it's an important concept for people to understand is because once you allow other people to be extraordinary and to let yourself off the hook, like you've just made a catastrophic error. So you need to look at the most accomplished people in the world and say, I could do that. Like if I put my time and attention to getting good at the things that they've gotten good at, I could do that. So whether that's a civil rights movement, whether that's build a business, like, you know, like, um, Taylor Wilson that we had on yesterday on the show, um, nuclear physicist, like don't brush him off and go, well, he's a genius. Because the ironic part is, so he's got a younger brother who tests off the charts, much smarter than Taylor, but his brother hasn't done anything with his life um, and and has really struggled emotionally and everything with. He even said one time, the, the smarter quote unquote brother said, I'm always second best at everything, meaning his brother Taylor, who is not data wise as smart as him is always out front because he's passionate. He's um, so curious. So there are like those things, I think at the end of the day, become really, really important. Ah, I'm, Give me the central thrust of the question. I managed to, to get too far off.
0: Putting heroes on a pedestal. Yeah,
1: thank yeah. you. I appreciate you bringing us back.
0: No one's a saint.
1: No one's a saint. You're absolutely right. So, uh, so I think that that's important because you don't want to not hold yourself to that standard because you think, oh, they're a saint. Also, I think that it's such an absurd waste of time to like nitpick at people or try to knock them down or say, oh, that person's not this, that, or the other versus say, but is their message good? Will their message help people? Is what they're saying the right thing that we should be doing? And if it is, then do it regardless. Like, dude, honestly, if like, uh, a skinhead came up to me and was like, Oh, here's what I think that we should do for X, Y, Z thing. I'd be like, you're a total psychopath on the one hand, but that's actually really good advice on that hand. I'm going to separate the message from the messenger. And Mm. if it really is the right thing and it's going to benefit people, I'm going to do it no matter who suggests it. So yeah, I I just think it's crazy that people want to knock other people off a pedestal rather than just saying what's usable here.
0: Yeah. And it's especially powerful in the context of a lot of what she does, which is, um, you know, and especially when she was talking in the episode about humanitarian efforts, right? And looking at you know someone like Mother Teresa and saying, "Well, they're they're perfect. They they did no wrong." So I could never go out and help other people because right. I am not perfect myself. So yeah, really, nobody's perfect. perfect. Everybody does. Everybody's complicated. Dumb shit.
1: Everybody. That's a very kind way of saying it. Everybody's complicated. I like that.
0: Um, what. What would you say is like the biggest takeaway for for our listeners from this episode? Like what would you pinpoint from Lila Jana?
1: Ooh, well, here's the thing that I really resonate with, because I think it is, it is going to be the dominant form of um, entrepreneurship moving forward. And that is to build a robust and highly profitable business that makes the demand that it lives in service of other people. And that's certainly what I feel like we did at Quest. And that's certainly what we're doing here at Impact Theory. Like we just wouldn't put out content that we think diminishes people just period simple as so no matter how much money that might make like we're we're not even going to do things that are neutral so for us it's got to be like value add it's got to be humanity plus but at the same time i want a bigger house i want fancier things right so it's like it to me it's it's all about both like I, I believe if you're doing things in service of other people that they believe is more valuable to them than the money, then making a lot of money just is not a problem. You're, you're doing something positive for the world. And that, I think, is, is the only thing that recognizes the human condition. There are just times where if you're trying to be like, the test has already been run. If you ask society to be Mother Teresa and literally put everyone before you and never do anything for yourself, they don't do it. Right, tests already been run. Hey, right. so like I know that's not a winning solution. So people have a certain amount of selfishness, but they also have a, a massive desire to connect, to serve, to be altruistic. Like we dip in and out of both. So yeah, I I love what she's doing. I think it's so absurd because she gives these. She doesn't self-reference but in other interviews she had so i knew what she was talking about went so she says that people heckle her because she dresses nice mm-hmm. and they're like oh this woman like clearly doesn't care about poor people otherwise she wouldn't spend that money on clothes like she likes to fucking dress nice she wants to buy nice clothes so rather than celebrate how much harder she's working to help people than 99.9% of the rest of the world, you're going to give her shit about what she wears. Like, let's dig into your fucking record. <laughs> so it's like, it's just so crazy to me. It's absurd. People are selfish. It's like, for instance, do you back yourself up to the point where you're on malnutrition and then give away the rest of your food? No, motherfucker. You eat until you're full and you go get ice cream and you buy things that you like and you eat out at restaurants, even though that's money that you could be giving away and good on you. That's how life should be. So, but to act like just because I have a nice meal doesn't mean I don't give a shit about people starving to death. Like that's crazy. So, but creating self-sustaining economic vehicles, that's the magic. But I think that there's two things happening simultaneously. There are entrepreneurs like Lila, that are waking up to the fact that they can build these socially responsible, profitable engines. And then people who are like making any profit is the devil's brew. Mm-hmm. And it, it it's the same generation mm-hmm. growing up. So you get millennials and Gen Z both doing this like in ever accelerating ways where never have more people been interested in being entrepreneurs and making money and never have people been more like demanding of that you know, or spouting that profits are the devil. So it's like, it's a super weird time. And I think that people, and she breaks it down. The fact is a nonprofit only can function if rich people give them money. That's a terrible model. yeah. Especially if you think that rich people like, are they've made their money in some sinister way. It's like, then why do you wanna go begging for money? Like, that's crazy. Become self-sustaining. So anyway, I could really go off on that one. It's just madness to me. Build a business that does good, that adds value to people's lives, that um, you know, isn't just raping and pillaging the environment, that you know, is, has great core business practices, and making profit on the back of that, to me, is a beautiful thing.
0: And because we're in a place right now where we have those two polar opposites, do you think that's also why we do have a lot of people like Lila and a lot of companies that are trying to um, make money and do good at the same time?
1: Yeah, I mean, it um, sort of. I don't think it is the dichotomy itself that makes that happen. I think what is fascinating is what's been going on at a like really macro level that's led to this, because that's not how in the eighties I was thinking. Right in the eighties, it was. Greed is good. It was like every kid that I knew wanted to get rich. Like people weren't sending their birthday money to charities, like, or asking, you know, as a nine year old to instead of giving me a gift, donate. Like that was not in the public consciousness. Mm -hmm. So why is it now? It's really fascinating. As somebody who wants to influence culture on a global scale, I want to know the answer to that because I want to know if you can intentionally orchestrate it. Because if you can, then we really can influence belief system on a global scale. And that would be
0: amazing. That's awesome. All right. Last question. What do you think is next for Lila Jana?
1: Oh, I think what she's doing in the skincare thing is going to blow up. And I think that, look, every single human being I've ever talked to that runs a nonprofit ends up getting frustrated because you have to beg for money. Mm-hmm. You can't just go, I'm gonna deliver a crushing amount of value to people, generate a ton of revenue, incentivize um, the smartest people in the world to come work for me with equity and stock and all of that. So it, like, I won't name this person, but I know a very high-level entrepreneur who has done both nonprofit and for profit. And he was like, I will never do a nonprofit again. Mm. He was like, the absurdity of the regulations, he's like, it's just too much to bear. And the way that you have to go around begging for your supper. It, it's just, it's, in my opinion, it's the world's dumbest model. So self-sufficiency to me, like that's just the end all be all. And if you make the demand that you're only going to make profits doing something where you're adding value to people's lives, like that's the big win. So I think for her, she's already doing it on the skincare line. It's like she really cares about how it's sourced. She really cares about the people who source the ingredients. So it's like so much of her energy is in doing it right. And I think that more and more companies like that are going to get rewarded. So um, that's really, really exciting for me.
0: That's awesome. All right, well, that's it for today.
1: Cool. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of After Impact. Lila, Jana, dig deeper into her world. She's absolutely incredible. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.